You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Hello and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Frances Deed Sellers, a senior writer here at the Washington Post. Today we're going to be talking about protecting our planet and I'm delighted to welcome Robert Downey Jr., actor, producer and founder of Footprint Coalition to talk about his efforts to combat the climate crisis. Robert, a very warm welcome to Washington Post Live. Thank you kindly. Nice to see you, Francis. That was uh, quite an intro. My gosh, we should probably <laughs> just leave it right there. Well, we probably should. Maybe not. I'm not going to let you go right there. Fine. I want to first introduce our uh, audience and make sure you join the conversation too. So please tweet your questions to the Twitter handle at PostLive, and we'll try to get to a couple of them during the conversation. So, Robert, over to you. There must be any number of people who would like to attach your name to their cause, and there are certainly any number of good causes out there. But tell us, why the climate crisis, and why did you found Footprint Coalition? Uh, honestly, when I was wrapping up my Marvel contract, um, you know, maybe life imitates art a little bit or the other way around. So many of these faux existential crises had been what was on the call sheet every day, uh, you know, fighting Thanos on planet Titan and all that stuff. And uh, I, I thought, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? I'm going to keep my day job. I, I, I still feel I have something to contribute and entertainment. But I was honestly looking at, I really need a big challenge and a big project. And um, and I just kind of stumbled on stage at, at the Remars conference and, and made a commitment to throwing my hat in the ring to, to do what I could in this very daunting task of dealing with the uh, climate crisis. So you've taken a very innovative way, innovative way of approaching this crisis. I've written a little bit about Fast Grants, which is a project out of George Mason that has tried to accelerate the funding of science during the pandemic. Tell me how that model, tell us about that model, how it influenced you and how you use that model with Footprint Coalition. Uh, it's, it's just to do what you can't do on the business and government side. And if speed and scale are, are the two prerequisite requirements to actually be able to mitigate uh, the, the direct threat to our, our planet, I think it is about creating a movement and also going back to how often uh, some young scientist or innovator will talk about it's that grant they got early on that gave them the wind at their back to make a big dent in in uh, in the challenge. And so it really, I have to credit Rachel Kropa. Uh, when I was at a, a previous agency, she was running all of the philanthropic endeavors for a bunch of a-list clients and she decided to kind of go all in and, and join me at, at FPC where she could really focus on just uh, on just one cause, which is obviously the cause we all share. So I guess one example you've written about is Caitlin Carrico, who was an mRNA founder and was sort of felt she was ignored for a long time and then came to the fore. Are you seeing this as a means of recognizing those unusual or risky or uh, unrecognized opportunities? Sure. I mean, look, it, there, there's no, first of all, I think this 
movement, which is, let's not kid ourselves. I mean, I, I remember the commercials in the 70s and the forming of the EPA. There, there's really nothing new about this except how uh, imminent the threat now is. It's verifiable. And it just seems to me that um, being able to move at a faster clip, shine a spotlight on these young uh, folks and, and, and scientists and thinkers who are going to probably, if we, if, we, if we can give them a bit of a boost, I think that they'll, they, they may be able to, uh, you know, make historic contributions. Um, and again, I think sometimes we, this is an all hands on deck situation. And as you know, because you've been steeped in this fast grants too, you know, um, whether it's a professor or a PhD at an academic institution or some rock star high schooler in Mexico who wants to study, you know, textile cell ag in the US, we're providing an opportunity to let people um, explore the impact they could make. And there's nothing random about it. I think, again, uh, part of what I feel I can do is bring attention, funding, and some. Uh, um, some support to perhaps these underserved aspects of what the, the larger solution will be. I'm going to ask you specifically about some of those people in a minute, but first I want to get to an audience question. We have one already. This one comes from Myra Frick from Delaware, and Myra says, do you think a private approach to research is more effective than exclusive government support? Uh, I don't want to say more important. I want to say uh, equally important. And um, look, you know, I love an aircraft carrier. Uh, I think it's amazing how how big we can go. And um, and and I'm very impressed with a lot of the the progress that we're making uh, on the government side. I think there's a, a real sea change. But again you know, bureaucracy and red tape are really difficult to dispense with. So I think to answer the question, I would say probably more important uh, for now in so much as there's an imbalance. Yeah, and I guess we should add there that John Kerry, the climate envoy, even said today that he was worried that countries were not living up to their pledges. So these big, as you said, bureaucratic organizations obviously are facing political pressures all the time. Sure. I'd like to ask you a little bit more about your science program, the focus of it. You have several focus areas. You mentioned cell ag. Talk us, just walk us through them a little bit if you could so that people get a sense of what Footprint Coalition is doing. Sure. Um, well, I can tell you that a lot of it is like uh, angel investing. Um, if I could look at some of the uh, science leads, I mean, I honestly, it's so hard to even know where to start because we funded 18 projects so far, financing 50 research initiatives by the end of the first round. Um, well, you did the background in this. You can you can help me. Look, I'm just really pleased with my background <laughs> right now. I mean, you're you're the brain here. I just I'm just showing so, up to kind of you know help things through. So, environmental justice. Tell us what you're doing with environmental justice. Um, well, I can, I can tell you that um, 
whether it's uh, hold on one second. Let me see what what Rachel had written down for me. Well, so I'm going to jump around a little bit, even yeah, regardless of what uh, the questions are. Um, when when Rachel come to me about this uh, this fast grants thing, um, we really talked about how can I empower. There's there's three aspects to the coalition. One is John Schulhoff, who was this ser serial uh, entrepreneur, had said we really want to get on the um, on the venture side so that we can start supercharging and let individuals uh, invest alongside top tier VCs. When um, when John Schieber had come over from TechCrunch and started really working with us on, on the media and editorial side for footnotes, which is kind of a news and information site about the technologies, I really just asked him to run with that. John is running with the um, with the investment side, and Rachel Kropa, who I think had also done something or is doing something that will be is really what people should watch if you want to get all the good data. Uh, is um, she's the one who really runs and was the the big mind behind the uh, the science engine. So you're a storyteller. Tell us a little bit about when you go to visit. Take us into a lab or visiting one of these scientists and what inspires you about it? What takes you to the next step of wanting to be involved? I'd love to know what it's like to visit one of these labs or a field or see somebody working with cell agriculture. Yeah, well, I mean, look, with the, the cell ag, I think part of it was that they hadn't really written what standards and practices were going to be. So I think one of the things I'm proudest of, which was a, a relatively small investment, but I think really impactful, is kind of writing uh, out what the guidelines really should be, the ethical guidelines, as you're going into this massive uh, space, this sector that can do so much good, but left unchecked, not unlike the internet or other things, uh, you could wind up really creating a lot of uh, issues. So. Sometimes it's just asking the people, how can we get ahead of what a steering committee for how even dealing with this space should look? Um, but then for instance, you know, and there's some things that are going on right now that I, I, I can't talk about. I have the list of things that I can mention and not, but sometimes you meet with these uh, uh, founders and maybe it's um, uh, someone who's going to do something in the EV space and all these, spaces now, I believe, tell me if I'm wrong, have become so crowded that it's really hard to differentiate which team is strong enough to really compete in this space, uh, which people uh, are really going to make the, the innovations that, that can matter and not just be another voice in the room. So I think some of it is kind of like, I hate to say this, but it's kind of like casting. I've been on both sides of of the casting situation where you know you you want someone to think that you're the, the the guy or gal the individual for the job but really you're looking for this kind of uh perfect fit so you know even uh right at our inception it was really easy for us to understand that this company insect was taking mealworms these were going to <laughs> defray, you know, the need for what we were doing with aquaculture and 
this crazy thing that we were feeding fish to fish to create fish stock. Just sometimes if you look at an outmoded, horrible, obvious problem, you still need to find the, the companies that can that can access a solution that is really going to not just work on paper. And I think it, it can be really confusing because it, it, it's a very there's so much wind at the back of this movement that I think sometimes people who aren't quite prepared to really be able to scale businesses uh, wind up getting a lot of support. So it's like anything. Sometimes, you know, the no's are more important than the yeses. But, but Robert, I'm just imagining. So I'm imagining being the geeky scientist working with mealworms or cell ag or all this stuff. And in walks Robert Downey Jr. I mean, do people get daunted by your celebrity or does it? <laughs> Isn't that a part I, of it? I think that I think pretty quickly um, the folks that we wind up being drawn to, they'll say, "That's really cool, but can you uh, can we talk about the switch reluctance engine, or can <gasps> we talk right. about you know this technology that we're not just passionate about? Like we have really good data on this, and because you know, I mean, look, it's it could be a blessing or a curse, right?" If you can bring a lot of media attention to something and expose that it's a startup that isn't ready to really go to market, then I've, it's actually done a disservice. So, I mean, look, you know, some people, uh, you know, if they're Marvel fans or they watched Ally McBeal, there's there's a five second lapse between um, being self-conscious about it and then getting down to business. But I think, again, I really have dedicated myself to this. I, I do spend about half my time on it. And uh, and I think that there's a, an earnestness that I try to bring into these meetings with companies, whether it's around food, clothing, transportation, uh, systems that power the world. And I'm honestly, I'm just super enthusiastic. And sometimes that can be a problem. And then my team has to come in and say, <laughs> you know, we having walked through the lab, I think, you know, what we're not running into is a bunch of Theranos situations where you go like, this is all, a, you know, some kind of strange gag. Um, you know, there, there really is incredible insight and just a lot of amazing folks working on all this stuff. So, so I loved your your casting analogy, the notion of getting this team together. So you have the, 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 the scientists you need to invest in, but you have your immediate footprint coalition team. Can you tell me a little bit about building that team and knowing that you have the right people there with this combination of right science savvy, business savvy, entrepreneurship? How did you go about that? How do you know how to have faith in the right people? Well, you're presuming that I did know to begin with. Again, I I just so put myself out there and said, I'm really going to dive deep into this space. But I, I think as we get to know each other a little bit, I don't like doing things the way they've been done before, if at all possible. I always think that uh, if you can be organic and original in your approach. So my first thing was just overcommitting myself to the umph degree. Um, then my long-suffering missus, Susan Downey, introduced me to a, a close friend of hers husband, John Schulhoff, who had then said, you know, none of this matters if you're not able to create investments and get a portfolio of ventures going that show that you are really, you know, committed. And with our fund now, it's about $5 million a quarter. I think that adds up to what you could call an $80 million fund. It's a splash in the bucket compared to the big players. But to me, it really is showing that um, 
that I'm, I'm literally uh, invested. And it's been such an education in the last couple of years. Um, I, I sometimes feel like I don't know anything, but um, but then I, I realized that by osmosis, you kind of start learning and understanding uh, about the space. Again, like I said, with Rachel coming in for the philanthropic and, and, and you know, research side and, and grants and all that, um, she's really inspired me to try to build towards where we can have a, a physical space, an institute of sorts, kind of the, uh, the Sundance of green tech. And that's something that through um, some shows that I'm doing, one of which uh, I, I guess I can't talk about, but suffice <laughs> it to say, there's a show I'm going to do that's going to create an opportunity to raise the funds to uh, build this institute. And that is really always where my head has been is I need somewhere where I can go and keep learning and get the best and brightest people to want to uh, show up and share all of their ideas. That to me is really the coalition part. And then lastly, with uh, John Schieber, who is really just such a great writer and editor and honestly, just a creative mind, he's come in and really help me learn how to shape the narrative and storytelling for how we're addressing not only the companies or scientists uh, or research we're supporting, but also how to get um, people's heads around what a, a cleaner future could look like and why all of the time and energy being invested right now could lead not to a utopian place, but to somewhere habitable. So this leads me right into a great question that's just come in on Twitter, and it speaks to one of the issues I think is so key at the moment. People feel as if they've been told to eat their broccoli and they've done everything wrong for such a long time. And, and I think there's an effort to change the way we think about climate. But listen to this. So this is uh, from Daniel Burrows, who says, with your experience, <laughs> storytelling and captivating audiences across the globe, how can we turn the climate conversation from gloom and doom into a story about excitement and opportunity? Yeah, right on, Daniel. Uh, oh, look, isn't that always the thing? I mean, can we just take pause and think about the last several years? Forget where we are, you know, politically and uh, and with all the the conflicts going on just at this moment. But what a strange few years! And I don't think any of us wanted to wind up in a place where we're complaining within the fact of, of you know, there's still so much to be grateful for. But uh, sometimes it's that tear down attitude. It's that kind of pessimistic uh, optimism that people think is showing temperance. When in fact, I'll just speak for me. This is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be hard work. It's supposed to feel stressful because the clock is ticking. But how do we retain the enthusiasm? And, and you know, like they say in aviation, attitude is altitude. So when I wake up in the morning and I see a, uh, a source panel that's making drinkable water out of uh, pulling it from these solar panels and in, in, in the atmosphere, I go, wow, you know, that's that's magic. And yet it's just a device that people created. Or when I look at these tulip turbines that are defraying some of the um, the energy uh, pull from the grid on my property, I go, 
we need to walk around inside these technologies and embrace them fully. And I think that you get, you really get a buzz from it because I can boot my, you know, 57 year old brain up in the morning and get all bummed out and judgmental and critical about things. Or I can, again, like I did, you know, th uh, three years back, I can, I can say, all right, like it or lump it, whether I'm having a good day or a bad day, I'm going to do something about it. And, and more than anything, as I'm continuing in my education, I think if we're, one thing is clear now uh, in these last uh, 17 minutes is I have a wildly incomplete education about this. So rather <laughs> than fearing that, like I get to talk to you today, you get to put me on point. You know, I get to look at the things I need to reacquaint myself with and, and, uh, and get more specific about. So I want to ask you just a little bit about enthusing venture capitalists. I think one of our rival publications had a piece this week about venture capitalists being more eager to invest in NFTs and all sorts of quicker returns. Is there a change, do you think? Do you think people who've got money and are willing to invest are seeing renewable energy or some of these newer technologies you're talking about as a good place to put their money? Uh, it could be, look, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. The people who are playing with the largest funds, uh, they're either extremely conservative because they don't want blood on their hands or they want to be cool. So what does that mean? To me, to be cool is to uh, reduce emissions. To be cool is to really be putting your money where your mouth is rather than saying you have a, a, you know, a environmentally conscientious fund. Why not really go in on a few things? And I, I think what we're finding since we had launched the fund at Davos a few years back is that there really is a sea change where I think that the conversation is different than it used to be. Um, there's a new kind of competition. I think it's, what's the kind of investment that you can really feel good about when head hits pillow uh, at the end of the day? Um, and I think to answer your question, I think that a, a well-developed uh, fund is going to be competitive kind of across across the board with uh, with any other proven, you know, template of, of how to try to make a return. I don't think it was that way five or seven or 10 years ago. I, I, I'm, I'm seeing uh, convincing evidence that it is that it is similar that you can do just as well in a fund like our FPC Ventures Fund as as you could in the, you know, open market. I, I'm from what I'm seeing, I'm guessing you're absolutely right about that. Do you still run into skeptics or about this kind of model or about your your funding model or has that is that just evaporating now? Um, well, I would be very disappointed if skepticism evaporated. I think that, you know, that that's the big um, footfall. That's the trap is that everything gets so gumbaya that you're no longer actually thinking like a startup or a business or a competitive entity in an ever expanding uh you know the field i mean there's it's all assassins out there and it is wildly wildly competitive so um you know we 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 have grown more by when we've had our tires kicked and and seen where we were falling short than by just you know happening into one great investment after the next but 
I think that's the I think that's the journey for for any startup, any anything that's trying to operate like a business. So, Robert, you alluded to something I know I'm not going to be able to ask you specifically about some role you have coming up. But tell me about using your name a little bit more to advance these causes and where you can go with it and where it's a true advantage and where it's fun for you. Yeah. Well, first of all, I'll say this, and this is not to complain, but a lot of things that wind up having a cause celeb element, uh, everything's like everything else. You know, this conference, that place, this uh, this cause, this event, and it all winds up getting boiled down to, it just kind of feels like, I don't know, the MTV Music Awards all over again. Um, so I, I think when I, when I imagine how to break through, and this goes back to the gentleman's question too, you know, break through the um, the, the finger wagging and, and and really activate and try to engage, um, you know, the population. I think part of it is just making it feel uh, numinous, something that you want to be drawn towards, and therefore it's kind of like how do you how do you host the ideas for a future that feel like something that people would just want to do anyway, not like they'd be doing it out of guilt. Um, going back to uh, certain of the things I can't talk about, imagine a world where one might take their uh, gas guzzling car collection, convert all of those cars to uh, more efficient um, vehicles, and then maybe one might um, sweepstakes them off to uh, raise tens of millions of dollars to put into green tech or to build a institute. Um, to answer your question, those are the kinds of things where I think a creative problem solving, and this is really to the individual, whether it's how you want to make your home more efficient, how you want to adapt your diet without feeling like you're punishing yourself to be a little uh, easier on the environment. Or as we know, you know, the options we have for, um, for uh, how and where we do our banking or, you know, what, what companies we choose to support. It, it should feel like a really nice multiple choice test rather than the SATs. Right, right. That's a lovely <laughs> analogy again. I've got another Twitter question. It's another great one. It comes from Emanuela Stenico, who says, who were the people who inspired you the most to create this incredible project? Um, funny that the fictional character of Tony Stark and I, who have been in a bit of a dialogue uh, for going on several <laughs> decades, you know, I had drawn a lot of inspiration from uh, Howard Hughes for that. And I had met with uh, who were at the time some, you know, um, really promising uh, figures who now are out there in the world doing great things. But as far as the coalition itself, you know, I really thought about my family. I really thought about, um, I thought about Robert Redford in a weird way because he had happened into, uh, you know, having done several films and being in Utah and then getting this little piece of property that turned into the Sundance Institute. And the funny thing was how much went wrong in the first few years and how unlikely it seemed that it would ever be this uh, 
mecca for individuation and storytelling. Um, but again, I think, you know, people who have organically been able to do something right. And by the way, I'm certainly not comparing myself to Robert Redford, nor am I comparing myself to the person <laughs> I'm also about to mention, Paul Newman. But, you know, what Paul Newman was able to do with mm -hmm. some salad dressing and some popcorn, but really his family. And I think we're really mm -hmm. at a place where we need to look no further than our own families, whether it's our families of origin, the families we choose, or the communities that we feel connected to. That is the most powerful uh, entity we can ever align ourselves with. So I kind of felt moved to do it, uh, whatever that means in the spiritual sense. And, uh, and, and I think when you go from your, your heart and, and kind of take that leap of faith, you know, sometimes you are, uh, you're guided by, uh, we'll call them angels, but they're really just other people who are helping you along. We're running a little bit close to the end of our time, but I'm not going to let you go without asking about the next projects you're acting in, what you have coming up and what we have to look forward to. Bless your heart. Well, I'm currently <laughs> working with uh, the great, incomparable Chris Nolan on this uh, project, obviously about Oppenheimer, which is so timely uh, right now. And it's been mm -hmm. uh, a great opportunity for me to uh, look into the future of energy and uh, fission and fusion and all of the promise there. Um, and then uh, director Park, uh, and I'm a huge fan of his, did films like Old Boy and Handmaiden. I'll be doing a uh, Pulitzer uh, book that uh, called The Sympathizer with him. And again, Susan Downey, as usual, is just kicking butt uh, with her shows, uh, Sweet Tooth, uh, Perry Mason. Um, but uh, I'm I'm really excited when we can talk next about how I'm bringing the the media side into things with several projects I'll be doing on uh, streaming platforms, where I'm just going to kind of try to demonstrate a bit of a circular economy that is also uh, helpful to our long suffering Mother Earth. <laughs> It's wonderful to hear that you and your wife are working so much in tune. And that does bring me to a question about home life. You've referred a couple of times to the changes you've made. Um, you're working on, on these big tech changes and we've seen how government's struggling. What's it like in the day in the life of Robert Downey and how has it changed as your consciousness of cli the climate crisis has increased? Um, you know, first and foremost, the all sacred diet Nobody, I'll speak for myself. Once I'm in a mode, I don't want to adjust what I do for comfort and what I do for sustenance. But again, there are so many alternatives to, you know, name your poison. There are so many ways to reduce your carbon footprint just by the two or three meals you are eating in the course of a day. Um, Again, I think there's amazing forward motion being made in in uh, in just water and alternative milks and all that stuff, you know. Um, but the course of a day for me now is as I'm getting back in the workplace a little more, I'm realizing I am so committed to the coalition. I'm still kind of figuring out how to the best serve it and to have it, uh, you know, serve the planet. 
And I'm in this kind of interesting place now where, as always, uh, I wake up in the morning and until I've had my coffee, life is not worth living. So I've decided to also uh, start looking into uh, coffee as a way to make an example of a circular economy. Um, I never want to have so many ideas that I can't execute on any of them well. So if, if anything, the way things have changed, it's become simpler. Sometimes when you have too many options in life, you won't be satisfied with whatever choice you make. So I'm, I'm in, a, in a period of time, and I would imagine many of us are, where we're just trying to uh, clear our psychological desk and, and make things a, a little more analog, uh, a little simpler uh, to combat these trying times. Robert Downey Jr., I'm going to take that message of simplicity and embrace it as we finish up today. Thank you so much for joining us at Washington Post Live. Thank you for your code of loving tolerance. Hello, everybody. Have a nice day. If you were with us, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, I, I, I hope I'll have plenty of fun things to report uh, when we catch up next time. Absolutely. We'll look forward to having you back sometime. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.